Hello, it's Matthew Ricketson. Welcome to another edition of the Conversations Media Files podcast. I'm joined by my colleague Andrea Carson and we're out at La Trobe University today and we're interviewing Caroline Fisher, an assistant professor of journalism at the University of Canberra, who is the lead author of the Australian edition of the Digital News Report. It's the fifth year of the report and it comes from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism, which is based at Oxford University. There are 38 countries involved, and it's an annual snapshot of media, how people are engaging it, how they're using it, what they think of it, and so on. So with that, let's get started. Caroline, the report indicates that there's been a longer-term trend of falling levels of trust in the media, and Australia is not immune to that. Do we have any idea of why trust is falling? It's a million-dollar question, I guess. It's fair to say that since we've been doing the report, and the reason that the Reuters Institute at Oxford began the study was to gather an evidence base about the impact of you know, digital uh, disruption on, on the news media landscape. And so it's been mapping trust and news consumption through you know, a big period of upheaval. And so I think that these falling levels of trust, etc., probably reflect a degraded news environment and just shifting expectations about what news is, what is quality, and I think also a growing wariness about information in an online context and that I think we're actually encouraging people not to trust it. You know, that in fact... How so? How so? Blind, How do you think we're well, doing that? Blind trust in the news these days in a fake news environment when all the talk is about how, you know, the, the perils of, 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 um, of fake news, etc., and the unreliability of many online news information sources uh, and the big push towards digital literacy, etc., um, I think that we are actually encouraging consumers to be more sceptical. So the question of do you trust the news media, and particularly in an online environment, I think is less black and white for people uh, than it probably used to be. So can you give us a sense of what the numbers are and how they may have changed over time, and also whether Australians differentiate between different types of media like social media compared to more established brands like The Guardian or The City Morning Herald or The Australian? So we ask about different types of trust. We ask about general news trust. So, you know, do you trust the news media generally? We also ask people about whether or not they trust the news media they personally use. Uh, and we also ask about social media and, and, and um, media via search. So if we go to the general trust issue, look, since uh, 2016, so over the past four years, there have been real fluctuations sort of in the mid-40s uh, for trust, which is kind of actually reflects sort of the global average. We had a peak last year. It went up, um, was at, went to a high of 50%, and um, we think that that was probably in relation to a bit of a Trump bump, actually, that, you know, the, the big scare about fake news, I think, had the effect also here, as it did in the US, of people trusting mainstream media more you know, in, in light of that debate. But we've seen that drop again back to the mid-40s again, so back to how it was. So over time, it hasn't actually shifted that much. You know, the trend is quite similar, but we did have a bump last year. When it comes to trust in my news, though, that has fallen as well, um, and I think that's more interesting in a way. Trust in my news is always higher than trust in, in news generally. That makes sense. So what do you mean by my news? Strategies, you know? Caroline, what do you mean by my news? 
Okay, trust in the news that I use. So oh, okay. I might have a general perception of the news media landscape and, and, and actually think that overall it's not great. But actually I really trust the news sources that I choose to use. Okay, so, so this is a little bit like there. that idea that teachers in general in the community might not have a particularly high reputation, but the teacher who teaches my child at the local primary school is, is terrific, that sort yeah, of idea. absolutely. And people say, oh, look, I don't tr- trust politicians, but actually my mo- local member's great. <laughs> yeah, he looked <laughs> after know. me when I had da-da-da, etc. Okay. Yeah. The other thing is that in this context, thinking it's not like there was ever a time when there was universal trust for the news media. No. Um, so is it a case of we're now more exposed to it and we're now more literate about it or and or are there other things happening at the same time? Um, there's a whole lot of things happening at the same time. Just, just to go back, so where we see the real decline in trust actually, other than just sort of annual peaks and troughs, is actually in trust in news on social media and that we are seeing right. a steady decline. And that, Was it ever high? No. <laughs> okay, yeah. And, and useful, is it related useful, to yeah. fake news? You'd have to assume so. I mean, yes, because we have very con- uh, high concern about um, uh, fake news. Now, Australians have higher concern than other countries about yeah, fake news. Yeah, we do. We tend to um, be more concerned about it, which is kind of interesting given that we haven't had the evidence of, you know, real uh, political interference. And, yeah, not you know, like the Philippines or, place, or, the or Myanmar, which has yeah. had very concerted campaigns of fake news. Or, or indeed no, the Cambridge Analytica is, scandal, you know, which was which yeah. really laid that out very clearly, the kind of uh, not only the extent but the possibilities of manipulating the, the public opinion environment. No, that's right. But what's interesting about that, though, is... is um, what, how do people define fake news? And we didn't ask that question specifically this year, but we did last year. And we, are, we gave people a range of, you know, different um, possible, you know, definitions of fake news, including, you know, poor journalism. Uh, so we had, you know, political misinformation, you know, um, sort of advertorial, so, you know, news dressed up as advertising, or advertising dressed up as news, I should say. Um, you know, poor journalism, i.e. the Trump definition, really, you know, and a couple of others are satire and one other thing. But, the, you know, the majority of people said, oh, look, we're really concerned about political misinformation, but actually the thing we experience most is poor journalism. And what that meant was um, inflated and sensational headlines, even, you know, typing mistakes, etc. but just, you know, what they perceive to be poor quality reporting. So I think when we say we've got concern about fake news high here, it's a bit hard to tease apart this year uh, because we didn't ask those specific categories. But going on last year's responses, that high level of concern could actually be about poor quality journalism. And yet some of your data would suggest that Australians don't feel powerless, that they're taking their own measures to be able to verify and double check information. Yeah, they are. I mean, there is, there's about a third um, of news consumers who are doing that. Um, but, you know, two thirds aren't. But it is good news. I mean, let's not be discouraged. A third is a good start. And, um, you know, maybe that'll grow. Um, and actually, we see the most active fact checking happens amongst young people. So Gen Z, in fact. And I think that's a reflection of the fact that they only get their news online and particularly from social, but also that they're you know, digitally very confident. Does that suggest there's degrees of digital and media literacy that are occurring with younger generations that they're being taught these skills? Yeah, completely. You know, if you've got kids yourself um, in the high in the school system, um, you'll be you know really aware that they are taught not only just about cyber safety, but they are very very nimble. You know, they certainly are. I get fact checked at home all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think children um, have been fact-checking it... their parents for a long time. <laughs> but no, I, it's a really interesting point because I, okay, we've got different ranges of children here. My children are all growing up now. And so they they went through uh, the educational system at a time when I, 
both before your children, Caroline and Andrea, but also before a time when they were growing up with an entirely online media environment. So I think that's a really interesting development. So what, what exactly is happening with your children, for example, at school, Caroline? What sorts of things are they being taught to do or be aware of? Well, certainly just about their digital footprint. So, you know, about cyber safety, really. Okay. Um, and their own so that's not safety. doing putting up silly pictures of yourself that yeah, you're going exactly. to regret 15 years later when you're going for jobs and so on. Yeah. But also they are, you know, um, their type of referencing now. So when they have to write essays and things, of course, using online sources, yes. about checking them, what's a reliable source of information. They are actually being taught that, you know, early high school. And uh, so they're very aware of that. And so I think that that can't just be happening in my kids' uh, public high school. It's got to be happening everywhere. You're a specialist in political communication. With the question of levels of fake news, concerning levels of fake news and also of media trust falling, does this matter? And coming off the back of an election campaign, a federal election campaign, where there was a record number of Australians now voting away from the major parties, do we care about the quality of our news information? Gosh, two huge questions there. I'm going to, can we, we might even have to break this into two. So I'm going to well, go why does it matter? Does it matter that um, there's falling levels of trust? I, I'm actually um, ambivalent about this myself, partly because of my own research in this area in trust. So it's really clear, and there's been decades of research uh, into this, that shows that people access and read, watch, listen to news, whether they trust it or not. Because news, yes, it has an information function, but it performs a whole range of other functions. People listen to it because it's entertaining, it's relaxing, because it gives them a common kind of, you know, currency to talk to their friends and family over the water cooler with. I mean, there's a whole range of reasons why we access news, and it's not just because we trust it. We all access brands that we don't trust. For God's sake, I buy Woman's Day occasionally, and I know it's a lot of rubbish. <laughs> no offence, Woman's Day, of course. <laughs> I love to relax and have a bit of brain death, you know. So... We all choose information sources uh, for a range of reasons, and trust is not the only one. It might be one occasionally, and it depends on why you want it. Are you needing some accurate information, or are you just wanting timely information? So I think the whole question of trust and its centrality to people's news use really needs to be picked apart. The other thing is something that I mentioned earlier on is do we really want people to blindly trust the news given the online environment in which they're consuming it? It's also a really important question in the trusting. However, linking that to the political communication stuff that you talk about, the trust factor there around political information is super important. You know, one of the things that we have done in this report um, following the result of the election, in fact, in response to it, when, you know, we were surprised by the result like everybody and we thought, well, hang on a minute, there's been a lot of informal voting, there's a big bunch of people who are undecided in there um, who were clearly swayed at the last moment. You know, what does their news diet look like? Who are these people? Uh, and so we uh, we ask every year what political persuasion people are. You know, do they identify with the left or the right wing or the centre of the political spectrum or don't they know? And we had a significant number, you know, uh, in the 20s of people who just don't know what their political persuasion is. They don't identify with any end of the spectrum. <laughs> and those people tend to be young and they tend to be women. And then we looked at, well, you know, how many news sources are they using? How many brands are they using? What's their education levels, etc.? And on the whole, these people have lower education, lower incomes. They use the fewest number of sources. They use the fewest number of brands. They have low interest in news, and they've got, you know, very low interest in politics. And and of that course, their vote, their vote counts. Yes, their, their vote is is every bit the same size as everybody else's vote. Um, yeah, indeed. 
And so we thought, well, that's really interesting. Now, I can't say to you that that cohort of don't knows, who identified as I don't know what my political orientation is, are the same people who were the undecideds, you know, in, in, in the election. But, you know, I'd be surprised if there wasn't any correlation there. The thing is, though, that these people also don't fact-check news. And so, in a way, they're the most vulnerable. Well, um, well, it and comes... that, I think, in the context of the election is very important. Yes, and I'll, I'll come... there's a question about the death tax issue that I'll come to in a minute. But the... yeah. just on the question of trust, I think it's a really useful thing to pick apart in the sense that mm. if, we just, if we just use trust as our metric, then mm. it's clear, for example, that the people who watch Fox News in America have a great deal of trust in yeah. that network. And yet right. there's been many studies which show that what is happening at that network is not verifiable journalism in in the way that might be understood in textbooks and so on that yeah. there you know there are people who have said and written that is in fact propaganda coming out of that uh, network most of the time so trust is not the only metric no because that's exactly it's you know in that case it's you know, very simply, as it is with most people, confirmation bias. We all choose information sources that you know reflect the world that we want, <laughs> that we agree with. Whether you're you know on the right or the left, that tends indeed. To be the way yeah, you no, know. that that is true. So with the with the group of people that you identified just yeah. before in the, the don't, don't knows, knows as we call them. What, what do you think in terms of the media? What role do you think they might play or could play in engaging with that group of uh, that group in society who are not particularly engaged? I think it's really important that we identify these people and if you look you know and we look at say okay well what news sources you know who uses what now there's no surprises in the left-right divide you know um that the right-wing people are you know reading newspapers from the news corp stable left-wing oriented news consumers are consuming newspapers from the old fairfax stable just um, on that is there much cross-pollination are we seeing that people who identify as partisan one side of politics or another, yeah. are they using multiple news sources that might cross those political divides? Look, uh, we did ask that last year and there is some evidence. It's not huge. I'd have to go back and have a look at last year's report, but I think it showed there, there is some crossover, but not a lot. And people on the left are more likely to read stuff on the right than vice versa, I think. But don't don't. Well, I think isn't that. that what the... So I need um, to look into that specifically. That's what that study by um, Yokai Benkler... Robert Farrison, I can't remember the last the name of the last author of that, but that that showed in they did a study of the American media ecosystem, if you like, and it showed that that there was um, at least some levels of verification and checking and so on going on 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 what was broadly called the left side of the media, yeah. uh, but on the right side of the media that was not happening anywhere near as often, and so. Well, when we look at fact-checking, we look at fact-checking by political orientation and, you know, the don't-knows are very unlikely, you know, less, the least likely to engage in it. But actually the most likely to engage in it are the extreme right-wing, those who say, I'm very right-wing. And that's, you know, a small but number But what, of are they engaged in fact-checking or are they... They are the most engaged. <laughs> right, but... And they're also, they're, they're, they use the most brands as well. They're hyperactive. So, so okay, so what... what, what Benkler and Farrison. Sorry. What yeah, those the authors found was that, you know, they took the example. They had several examples, but one of them was the example of the uh, the story that ran on on the right side of the media uh, about there being a pedophile ring being run out of by Hillary Clinton and her people yeah. out of a pizza parlor, and which was clearly a a spurious and bizarre story. And yet it kind of kept going round and round and round within the right wing media spectrum or sort of part of the ecosystem and either was rarely if ever corrected whereas on the other side when there was a story for example about Donald Trump the then candidate 
allegedly raping an underage girl. That story got checked and then found not to be true and then kind of left that part of the media ecosystem. As in there was some, there is some measurable dif- difference according to their study. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, we'd need to replicate it. Yeah, no, no, it's definitely really interesting. But I guess the point then I was going to get to was the don't knows is really interesting that people mm. who don't know, um, they mainly rely on commercial TV and their local or regional newspaper. Not not a metro newspaper, but uh, their local or regional. And in the online space, again, it's the online TV brands, but not the public service brands, it's so the commercial brands. the term polarisation gets thrown around. Yep fairly fast and furiously and certainly the American media is um, as Matthew's just demonstrated does have quite high levels of polarization but can we apply that to Australia from the research that you've done not just this time but over time? Yeah I mean we have but I, I mean I think that that's no, there's no surprises there it's been long understood that particularly in the newspaper sector here in Australia that it's there is this division you know we've had these sort of left-wing brands and we've had these right-wing brands and then in the online sphere you see that quite distinctly so the emergence of a range of uh very left-wing you know uh in the sense that the 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 there's brands that are overwhelmingly used by people on you know who identify as being left-wing that being the guardian buzzfeed the new york times the conversation um you know vice junkie all of these crikey they're absolutely heavily used by um you know left-wing uh, news consumers and uh, you know very little um very little engagement from the centre or the right, or, or the don't knows, for that matter. So, so there is there is a there is a big distinction um, between those who are on the right and news consumers on the right and news consumers on the left and the brands they choose. And one of the things that your study looked at was how prepared Australians are to pay for their news, yep. finding that it's still fairly low. I mean, it's low globally, but it's low in Australia and more likely to be men than women. Mm. Is this a problem for us? And in terms of the media ecosystem and those um, degrees of polarisation that you've just spoken of, are we seeing that it's easier to monetize some sorts of content over others? Good question. Um, are we seeing that? What we know is that, yeah, 14% of Australians pay for online news in some form, whether that's a one-off or an ongoing subscription. That's just a you know, general figure of people who've made any kind of financial contribution, really. Again, it's close to the global average, hasn't shifted a lot, and everyone else who doesn't pay says they really hate bumping into paywalls, really annoys them. They understand the need for them, but they find it really annoying, and no, they're not going to pay. And they're being increasingly asked to pay for stuff. I personally think we've reached peak paywall. I think that the demand for subscription for everything, whether it's a dating service, whether it's online gaming, whether it's... Uh, news, whether it's you know video streaming or music streaming, we are being asked to subscribe individually to you know this huge number of individual services. There is only so much money a person has, and I just you know from what I can see, people would prefer to choose entertainment online options to news options, and we've got this fairly stubborn kind of low you know resistance to paying for news. I can't see that shifting a great deal. So in that, in that sense, you would be sceptical about the, the possible success of the new venture from Crikey, which is a kind of inquiry well, or investigative, because no. well, they're, they're, they're going to be behind a paywall. They are, but okay, so this is where I think we need to really pull this apart, and yep. it's not looking at so much the percentage of people who are prepared to pay, it's, it's actually then 
there's this very active cohort of news consumers with very with high political interest yes, and high okay. interest in news. And it may be that they take out 20 subscriptions. But that would be you, wouldn't it? Only makes up, <laughs> well, no, no, well, there will be... Well, there, are, there are crazy people like that out there. Hey. But, but so as a percentage of the population overall, I don't think it's going to change radically. I don't think that we're, suddenly we're going to see 20% of Australians, you know, it may be over time, you know, that would be fabulous. It may be that that grows. But I think what we find is that this active group of payers are just going to be paying for more things because so, they're so actively engaged. You say that people don't like running into a paywall. Is some of that just the fact you've got to click 700 times before you finally get to where you want to get? And with Facebook announcing uh, this week that it will be setting up its own currency, which presumably mm. will make it much easier to monetize content, Will we perhaps see a change in this environment of paying for information? Yeah, I saw that as well, that story. I don't really understand cryptocurrency, I've got to say, and clearly it's something I now need to get my head around. I don't really understand how that works. Um, so, look, it may be. I think that's, it is really interesting. I don't know what it's going to mean. Well, uh, your, you... your, your notion that you know we're all sort of getting peak paywall and so on, might apply to the cryptocurrency in the sense that it, f- it may feel for many people just like another thing they need to kind of get on top of and, and they'll default to the simpler, easier option to get their news and information and entertainment. Look, we just have such a wealth of free news here and we always have and we're mm. very big TV watchers and that kind of hasn't really changed. So while there are you know quality free options, I mean, people are going to take them because... The fact is we're not actually terribly interested in news, unfortunately. It's not our top priority. In fact, we're actively avoiding it according to the latest findings. But is that that actively avoiding bad news or news in general? Uh, It's news in general. We don't actually ask about type of news, but we do know that people who are worn out by news are more likely to avoid it and people who aren't interested in it, of course, are are going to be worn out by it. But what I'm saying is that because the interest in news isn't... It's not a top priority for people then they are going to save the money for the thing that is their top priority. And that is, you know, that's going to be, yeah, the video streaming service. So unless there's this kind of real cultural shift about the importance of news and people's interest in it actually increases, I can't see the percentage of Australians willing to pay for it really growing. I mean, like I say, I don't actually know how this cryptocurrency works. So it could be it's terribly easy and it's like we all just get sort of given, I don't know, little news chips and you just I don't know how it works but as, so, but I, as you, know, you say I, there's I feel quite re- ignorant about it it could be a really easy solution no I that's all right but but as you say we are we as a country are already well served by you know yeah. a strong national public broadcaster which of but course also is free to most people are watching yeah. the free to air yeah. so <laughs> and as you said so I, I'm not sure that drawing the conclusion that people aren't interested in news quite marries with that widespread you know engagement with both commercial television which at least has some news and the ABC, which has a lot of news. Yeah, of course. It's just people will say, yeah, I'm somewhat interested. It's just mm. not they're very or extremely interested. And know? it's fallen, they're hasn't it, us. over time? <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's been No, depressing. no, no, clearly they're not us. No, I get that, I'm, you know. <laughs> but, um, well, if you look at it like lots of people are engaged in the latest TV series. Yes, you get yes. very, very passionate about that. Lots of people do that. Yeah. Um, news junkies get... You know, obsessed about news, but yes, the average. I'm not too surprised by that in a sense that news is is stuff that comes in. It tells you is the road clogged. It tells you you know to get your flu shot. It also tells you who's won the election, who's lost, and whether your football team won, and so on. I mean, it's not the thing itself is not something that most people get passionate about. 
But I think if you took it away, which is almost impossible to do in this day and age, but if you took it away, you might find a different kind of result. Look, possibly, you know, possibly. Um, is it fair to say, though, there was a perception that news had become more negative and therefore people yeah. were avoiding mm. it? Whether it's more negative, I don't know, because we haven't tracked that question over time. But we did ask this year about different perceptions of news performance uh, across a range of measures. So we looked, asked about you know, whether or not the media was doing a good job scrutinising uh, people in power, whether or not you know, uh, perceptions of neg- negativity, was the news too negative? Was it relevant to who, you know, my life? Um, was it keeping me up to date? And was it helping me understand what was going on in the world? Um, now... Australia did quite well on the keeping me up to date. So two-thirds of the news consumers said, yep, we're really happy with that. They're doing a good job keeping me up to date. So that's good. Tick. Um, then it kind of went downhill from there. Um, uh, 56%, I think, off the top of my head, um, said that they thought the news media was doing a good job explaining events to them so they understood what was happening you know, in the news. And that was higher than the uh, international average again. Um, but then when it came to applying scrutiny, uh, we're slightly below the uh, national average there. When it came to negativity, we were above the, the uh, international average there. When it came to relevance, we were below the national average there. So some good news, yep, uh, timely news. That's good and doing an okay job explaining. But uh, perception was they weren't doing such a good job uh, holding the powerful to account, being relevant, and was a bit negative. Well, thank you, Caroline. We feel that we are now kept up to date on the state of news in Australia for 2019. That was Dr Caroline Fisher, the lead author of the Digital News Report for Australia in 2019. I'm Andrea Carson, and I'm presenting today's Media Files podcast with Professor Matthew Rickardson. Thank you.